As I said earlier, there's a lot of heaviness and there's a lot of uh, wonder and discouragement. There's a lot of what's going to happen. And I've been approached numerous times in the last week about, Pastor, what can we do? Pastor, what should we do? Can we do anything? And I've been praying all week. When I started the new year, I began a fast and I'm still fasting. And I prayed today that, that I wouldn't speak out of flesh but I would speak out of spirit. And that's my heart today. I want to I speak what the Lord laid on my heart and I want to challenge us as a church. What can we do? What should we do as the church of Jesus Christ? The same thing the church has always done. And I want to look at some things today. I want you to turn with me to the book of Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 verse 16. Some very troubling things have been taking place this whole year. We've had uh, cities where mobs have taken over downtown areas and continued to riot and burned and destroyed cities. We had at the Capitol this past Wednesday those that charged the Capitol. We had this week a minister in the House of Congress from the Methodist Church, and everybody was talking about him ending his prayer with a man and a woman, which is ludicrous. It shows his ignorance. He doesn't even understand the word has nothing to do with gender. But worse than that, the man prayed to Brahma. The monolithic God. He prayed to all the gods. He was grouping them all together. We call the one God by many different names. And church, we got to pray. Because that type of thing in our government opens up our nation to the enemy. It welcomes a curse upon our nation. And so church, we have our work cut out for us. But we know in the, win- in the end, we win. Amen? Turn with me to Luke chapter 4. I want you to look at some things here. If, if we think this is just about politics, we're wrong. Because the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And one of the ways he, he, he achieves that desire is through our culture. If he can saturate a culture with demonic mindset, evil mindset, it, it, it flows through the entire culture or the entire nation. So don't tell me that the enemy hasn't from the beginning tried to... to take strongholds within our culture and within our governmental system. This week I heard a pastor that said that he didn't even know if the church should be involved in politics. Well, the Bible I read tells us that we are in this world, but not of the world. That we're to be the light to the world. To the world. To the world. Amen? 
So that includes every area of influence in our culture. That includes Hollywood. It includes the entertainment industry. It includes our educational system. It includes our government. I encourage you, if God calls you into one of these fields, Melinda years ago felt called to be a teacher. And at first she taught in the Christian school. But then she, the door opened for her to teach in public school and she entered into that door and, and, and there were all kind of restrictions. But she continued to be the light in the midst of the darkness because that's what God's called us to do. She could have said, well, this is too difficult or, or there's too many uh, persecutions for Christians, so I'm just going to teach in a Christian school. But she didn't do that. She wanted to be the light to the children in the public educational system. There's a principle there, church. Whatever part of our culture it is that influences our culture and, and our nation, Christians need to be involved. We need to be the light in those areas. Amen? We don't push them aside and say, well, I'm just going to huddle up and be with my little Christian friends until Jesus comes and gets me. And I better start looking at the text or I'm never going to get there. Look at Luke chapter 4, verse 16. I love this passage of Scripture. It's the pro prophetic passage of Scripture. Jesus was reading from the book of Isaiah. He had entered into the synagogue, and they would give people uh, that were honorable in that day, they respected the ability to, to read from the, from the Scripture in the synagogue. Look at verse 16. So he came, Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. This is a side note, but I want you to notice it was Jesus' custom to be in the Lord's house on the Sabbath day. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus said, I am the fulfillment of this. Amen? This prophecy of Isaiah is embodied in myself. He was telling them he was the Messiah. Amen? Don't ever think that when you hear people, there are people you, that you will hear that will tell you, well, Jesus never said he was the Son of God. He never said he was God. Yes, he did. And this is one of the instances. He's saying, this is fulfilled in your presence today. He's saying, the presence of the Messiah is right here, right now. Amen? And I want His presence right here, right now as well, don't you? Two, two things. Now, tomorrow, or tomorrow night, Monday night, I'm going to take this same text, 
but I'm going to go a different direction. But I just want to touch on this. Twice in this passage of Scripture, when it's talking about the ministry of the Messiah, it says to proclaim liberty to the captives, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And you say, well, pastor, doesn't that mean spiritually? Yes. God doesn't want us living our lives in bondage to anything of the enemy. Amen? He wants us to live free lives from sin, to conquer sin, to overcome it in our lives, to live victorious lives. But you can't discount the fact that when a culture receives Jesus Christ and it begins to move through the culture that not only is there freedom spiritually, but what is spiritual begins to manifest in the physical. Just like right now, our nation has been sowing to evil and allowing evil to come in. Just like the guy that was praying over our, our Congress this week. He's opening do the door. And what happens when you open the door spiritually, it begins to manifest physically. So I, I, I don't read this and just say it's talking spiritually. I remember Israel when they were in Egypt and God promised them he was going to lead them out of there. Amen. He sent Moses to be a deliverer for that nation and it wasn't just spiritual, it was physical because God had a destiny and a plan for them. And I still believe that God has a destiny and a plan for our nation. The Word of God teaches us that we're wrestling not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. So the church has to realize we've got to engage, we've got to pray, we've got to fast, we've got to quit just enjoying life and realize there is a battle taking place. Because if the church doesn't engage, I'm telling you what's going to happen. The same thing that happened in Germany. The church didn't engage. They kept their mouths shut. They, they didn't worry about political things. And Hitler became the leader of the nation. And six million Jews were murdered in the gas chambers. That is not the heart of God. So I challenge you today, church, to get on your knees, to set aside time every day, to fast and to pray and begin to engage and say, Lord, I'm going into the battle. I want liberty. I want liberty. I want the freedom of Jesus Christ to rule in my life. I want the freedom of Jesus Christ to rule in our nation. It's not just about politics, church, because both, listen to this, both parties have failed us. Right now, our national debt is approaching $28 trillion, and that's going to destroy our nation if we don't stop it. Both parties have allowed 62 million babies in our nation to be murdered in their mother's womb. And the list goes on. It's not about politics. It's about evil seeking to come and steal, kill, and destroy from the lives of people. And so, as Christians, God calls us to rise up 
and address that. Amen? Many of the policies today that they're wanting to institute are unbiblical. Our government desires to push through legislation where that I would not be able to talk about sin. That it would be considered hate speech. That if I begin to quote Scripture and talk about things in Scripture that are contrary to God's Word and label them as sin, then I could be arrested and imprisoned for hate speech. And if that day comes, church, get ready because Pastor Milt's going to be hauled away. And guess what? The next Sunday, Pastor Mitch is going to be in the pulpit. And he's going to be preaching against sin. The next Sunday, it might be Pastor Todd. It might be Pastor Lyle. It might be Pastor Rick. It might be Pastor Harry. But we have a long line of Pastor Don. We have a long line of pastors that believe the Word of God and aren't ashamed of the Gospel of Christ and are going to continue to stand and say, sin isn't God's design for your life. It destroys your life. It's not God's best for you. And sin will destroy you. So you need to follow the Word of God. You need to live for Jesus Christ. Amen? I want to show you something. In the book of Luke, Jesus doesn't only apply the passage we just read to himself. He applies it to his disciples. In Luke chapter 9, verse 1, he said, it says, Then Jesus called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all, all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So Jesus is commissioning his disciples to go forth in the same anointing of the Holy Spirit and to preach and to teach and to minister just like he did. Amen? Then ultimately it's passed on to the church at large. Luke, the same author of the the Gospel of Luke also wrote the book of Acts. And then he begins the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 1 verse 1 he says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. So he's referring to the Gospel of Luke. Then he says, until the day in which he, Jesus, was taken up. After the day he was taken up, he, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. So his commission is passed down, not just to the apostles, not just to the disciples of that day. It's passed down to the church. Jesus still gives commands through the Holy Spirit to his church. Amen? In John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus said, As the Father has sent me, I also send you. He sends us in the power of His Holy Spirit to preach the gospel, to minister the gospel, to see people healed spiritually and physically, and to see people set free. So I want to give you a quick list of things that the church needs to do right now. 
The first thing, we need to live by faith. Everybody say, I'm going to live by faith. In 2 Chronicles 7.14, we all know it. Many of us quote it. But do we believe it? God's Word says, if my people who are called by my name. Notice he doesn't stay there if the nation, everybody in the nation will turn to me. He doesn't say if 75% of the people in the nation will turn to me. He says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Church, that's a promise from our God. It's a promise to us today. And we need to respond in faith to that promise. Amen? I still believe the Word of God. It's up to the church. It doesn't say, it doesn't, I love this, it doesn't say if your spiritual leader or, or, or national leaders do this or that. It doesn't say if your government does this or that. It says if my people begin to pray. If we humble ourselves, how do we humble ourselves? One of the, the, the best ways to humble ourselves before the Lord is to fast. So if we fast and pray, we fast and pray. And seek his face. These people already knew God, but they're drawing closer to him than ever before. They're becoming intimate, seeking the face of God. And they turn from their wicked ways. Then God promises. In other, in other words, these people are his people, but it's his people that are determined to say, I don't want to live a life of sin. I'm not going to have a little pet sin that I give into. I want to live righteously. I want to live for God with all my heart, with all my strength, with all my might. Then God says, I'm going to hear, hear from heaven. I'm going to forgive your sin, and I'm going to heal your land. Are you thankful for that promise today? Church, James says our, our, our prayers are effective. They're powerful. The effective, fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. In the way it's written, in the original, it's inclusive. It's talking about mankind. It's not talking about just men. I just had to clarify that. It's talking about mankind. The effectual, fervent prayers, passionate prayers. Where you get down and you say, I, it's not just, you know, Lord, thank you for this grub. Rub-a-dub-dub. It's getting down to business and passionately interceding and realizing that we're warring in the heavenlies. The second thing I want us to see, right, besides living by faith, Believing God's Word, trusting His promises for us. The second thing, allow the love of God to flow through your life. This one isn't easy. How many of you watching the news lately would like to grab somebody around the neck and slap them upside the head? I love you in Jesus' name. <laughs> we need to allow the love of God to flow through our lives. Jesus said something that's very challenging in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 and 44. He said, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. 
But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Ouch. Church, we can't do that in the flesh. The only way we can do that is when we're surrendered to God and say, God, do it in me. Amen? But church, when we stand and we love those that, that we don't agree with, those that are persecuting us, those that are, that are standing against us and standing against God, we love them. We're to love them. We're to show the love of Jesus is greater than all. Amen? He, God is love. And we're demonstrating the love of God to others. So we pray for those that are saying ridiculous things, that are doing evil things. We pray for them. We bless them. We don't curse them. We don't show that we're the same as the world. We show the love of God. And some of you are saying, Pastor, I really wish you had missed that point. Because some of us are angry. Some of us are mad. Some of us are upset. We don't like what's going on. And we're ready to do whatever it takes. But God calls us to love. That's what he calls us to do. The third thing, I mentioned it earlier. Church, we need to value life. The church needs to make its voice heard that every life is precious according to the Word of God. When we devalue life in the womb, We've started down a slippery slope that will continue. And in our nation today, no longer is it just a, a choice. No longer do we just focus on, on babies in the early term pregnancies. But now it has escalated where there are those pushing legislation that a mother, if the baby is born and alive, can still take the life of that child. Church, that's murder. It's nothing but murder. And if you're here today and you've, you've gone through and had an abortion, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not here to curse you. But as a nation, we need to realize that is wrong. That is sin. We need to love the sinner and stand against that sin. We need to pray for those that have gone through that because they struggle with it. So we need to show that love. And I'll say something else, church. If, you ever, if you're ever attending a church where you're not challenged by the Word of God from the pulpit, you're in the wrong church. If you're looking for a church that's going to tickle your ears, you're in the wrong church. If you're looking for a church that's going to preach the Word of God and teach the Word of God and challenge you to live the Word of God, then you found the right church. We need to value life. Today there are states that have legislated euthanasia, and it's, and it's seeping into our culture everywhere, where when a person reaches a state where they're no longer productive for the overall culture, then that person is worthless. That person doesn't deserve 
medication and health care to, to extend their life because they're not productive. Or if a, if a child is born and that child has a handicap, and, and whether it's mental or physical, well, they're not productive. So let's just get rid of them too. That's where we're headed. Church, we have to pray that our nation will value life again, and we have to value life and stand up and say, abortion is wrong, it is murder. We need to vote that way. We need to do what we can to to let the the voice of, of the Lord's truth be heard. Amen? Leviticus 24, 17, God says, Whoever takes a human life shall be put to death. God says, if if you're going to take a life, then you pay for it with your own life. Church, we have to value every life as precious. We can't take a casual stance of the elderly. And the older I get, the more I appreciate that. I heard today someone was talking about retiring at 62 and, and I just kind of set me back. I said, what? I don't, I don't want to retire at 62. I want to keep going. Amen? As long as I have physical strength and health in my body, I have a mind that's sharp enough to deliver the Word of God, I want to continue to, to minister and love people in the kingdom of God. The fourth thing we need to do, we're called to pursue peace. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. When Billy Graham was asked what the greatest problem that he thought our world faced today, this is what he said. He said, Strife and racial hatred, stress and decision brought thereby. Church, if you notice, the enemy is trying to bring racial division in our nation. And we have to pursue peace. The church was birthed with multiple different ethnicities present. Amen? And Acts tells us that we're all of one blood. We're all of the human race. Amen? We're all various shades, but in that same human race. Amen? And so, church, we need to stand and love and do what we can to see that, that enemy, in our, in our, whether it's coming forth from our government. Yesterday I heard some of the leadership in our government that were actually claiming that the rally for Trump and the, the, the charge on the Capitol, it was all about racism. It was white supremacy. That's nothing but the devil trying to bring racial division. Church, we need to love one another. And we need to realize heaven's going to be filled. Filled with every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Amen? The fifth thing, church, we need to love like Jesus. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, it says, Do all things without complaining and disputing. 
that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. There's several things I love about that scripture. Paul here is speaking to a church, and he describes it as a church that's in the middle of a crooked and perverse generation. They were living in a culture that hell was dominating. And yet, he calls them to love. He calls them to shine as the lights in the world. He he says to not complain, not disputing, but become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And he calls us to shine. Church, there are are people in in the government, people in general, that I just don't enjoy listening to them speak. It irritates me to no end. But you know what? God's called us to pray for them. God's called us to bless them. In the midst of a generation that's perverse and and ungodly, we love them like Jesus loved them. The sixth thing, serve the needy. Serve the needy. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, we can't escape this truth. It says, let your light so shine before men that you may, they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Notice Jesus didn't say, hear your good words. He said, see your good works. Church, we're called to meet the needs of others. We're called to serve. And I want to ask you, do you serve? Do you serve others? Do you serve in the church? Do you have a heart where people can see your love for Jesus, not because of what you're speaking, but because of what you're doing? The works of your life. God's called us to serve. He's called us to minister to the needy, to the hurting. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 40, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Our nation is the greatest nation this world has ever known. We have served the world. We have sent funds to various nations around the world. We've sent doctors. We've sent nurses. We've sent food. We've sent clothing. More than any other nation, and most of all, church, we have sent missionaries with the love and the life of Jesus around the world. We have served the world. We have ministered to the world. Why? Because there was that underlying influence in our nation, that godliness from our foundation, that that our founding fathers established the Judeo-Christian values and morals. When they wrote our Constitution, they they were being led by men of God in that meeting, and many of the things that we see and the freedoms that we know, they were based on Scripture. 
So church, we need to continue to serve. I don't know about you, but I want, to, I want our nation to continue to send missionaries around the world. If evil has its way, church, they will not only persecute us here, but they will stop us from sending missions to the world. If evil prevails, we won't be able to minister and send doctors and, and uh, nurses and funds and, and minister to the needy. We need to be able to do that, to be the light, to be the light and the salt to the world. Finally, there's one more point, and I'm going to close with this. For some of you, you may struggle with this. But my final point is what we need to do. All the things I've been talking about have to do with the church being the church of Jesus Christ. All those things we've talked about. Because when we are surrendered to the Holy Spirit and God is working in our lives, then the light of Jesus shines through us and ministers wherever we are. So the church needs to rise up and we need to fight in prayer. We need to stand for righteousness. We need to minister and serve. But there's one more thing. And some of you are going to struggle with this. The final point is we must preserve liberty. And you say, well, pastor, we're not supposed to get involved in politics and we're not, we're not supposed to care about that. We're just supposed to be the light and be the salt wherever we are. I know some pastors that will disagree with me on that. I heard pastor this week say that he didn't think the church should even be involved in politics. I want to ask you, is that being a good steward of what God's given us? God's given us the freedoms that we enjoy in this nation so that we can be the light to the world. If we give up our liberties and become another nation like China where we're persecuted or Russia or various other nations, North Korea, they're all over the world. Where the church goes underground, we're not going to be able to be the light that God has called us and destined this nation to be. I believe that God allowed our nation to come and be formed and to, con to survive because of miraculous intervention, because He had a destiny for our nation that we would take the light of Jesus to the world. Church, church, there, there are those today in various countries that are just as upset, that are just as concerned. I've, I've seen Christians from various different 
parts of the world that are rising up and saying, we're praying for America. We're praying they don't go socialist. We're praying for freedom. We're praying for that liberty because they understand that the effect that our nation has had. And I'm not saying our nation is perfect. We have our faults. We've always had our faults. But in spite of that, we have had a core group of people in this nation that are surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ, that aren't ashamed to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're not ashamed to minister. And they've gone forth and they've made a difference in this world as we know it. In 1 Timothy, we're told to pray for our leaders. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 1 says, Therefore I exalt, first of all, Paul says, that supplications prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. For kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. The early church didn't have the freedoms that we have. They were persecuted, and God used that persecution to spread the gospel throughout the then-known world. But church, He has given us freedom. He's given us liberty. And I believe that God's Word calls us to be good stewards of what He's given us. And I believe our destiny isn't over, that we should stand and, and, and for that freedom, for that, for that ability to be able to take the gospel, not only in our nation, but to take our gospel around the world. Church, it's not a matter of patriotic concern. As a, as a father and a grandfather, yes, I want my children to grow up and know the United States that I grew up in. And it has changed drastically. It is not the same. But it's not out of a concern for my children or even my grandchildren and what they're going to go through. God determined that they would be born at that time and He's going to work through their lives and He is going to use them in the time that He has given them life. It's not about that. It's about, church, it's not even about my desire to be able to stand here on a Sunday morning and preach the gospel or to preach against sin. I, I'd be, I could still preach it going underground. I'll be like Paul and write you letters from prison. But it's about being a good steward of what God's given us so that we can take the gospel of Jesus and minister to the world. This Christmas, something very unusual happened. Every, I mean, I'm Facebook friends with a lot of people, at least until they begin to censor me and cut me off. But there, there are people from all over the world that somehow get connected. And I, I just friend them because it doesn't matter who they are or what they're doing. And, and uh, I'm gonna, they're going to see all the scriptures I put up and they're going to hear about Jesus. 
I had a, I had a gentleman from a country that's persecuted, that's mostly Muslim, and I'd talked to him several times, and, and uh, I just felt the Lord stirring my heart for him and what he was going through, and he was asking for prayer for his family because it was so difficult for them. Because this year, you know, the lockdowns in his nation and, and the lack of food and and, and he, was, he was saying, we still love Jesus. And I sent him a message and I said, what can I do? And he said, sir, if you could send me $7, it would make the world to my family. $7. And I know there's scams on there and you have to be careful. But I prayed. And I said, sir, give me your information and I'll wire you some money. I wired him $100. That wasn't much. But he came back and he said, sir, I can't believe this. He said, sir, in the exchange rate, you just sent me 8300 of my dollars. He said, sir, to be honest, I'm a little afraid to go receive it from the wire and that I can get home with it. He said, sir, you have changed my life and the life of my family. And I said, give all the glory to Jesus. That's why we must preserve liberty so that we can minister to the nations of the world the love of Jesus. There's one more verse I want to end with. I've heard this verse a lot lately. It's Romans chapter 13. And I want us to see something. I turned to this this week during my prayer and fasting, and I said, God, give me revelation about this. I need to understand this. Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority, resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Now when you read that, you think that we're just supposed to be obedient to any governing authority over our lives. But church, the passage doesn't end there. We need to take the passage in the context of the verses around it. Amen? That's what we're, we're taught to do, to understand Scripture. You just don't take a verse, verse out of context and just decide, well, I, I'm going to read this one verse and that's it. In fact, I'm going to turn to in my Bible. Notice the verse right before this. It says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
Now look at verse 3. If you have your Bibles, I want you to look at this. Is it up on the screen? Yeah, good job, guys. Look at the next verse. Now, first of all, the word there, subject, means to place oneself under someone else. It's a different Greek word than obey. Paul did not use obey in this passage. Why? Because there are times that the church must stand for God's law over the governmental law. Just like Peter. Peter did. They were coming against Peter, persecuting him, and he says, well, I'm going to choose God's law over man's law. Now look at this, verse, verse uh, 3. For rulers are not a terror of good works, but to evil. So I want you to note, not only are there guidelines or duties of a citizen, but there are duties of the government in this passage. In fact, my Bible even says in the headline of this passage, it says, it speaks of government duties on the side in the margin. So not only is it calling citizens to be aligned with their government, but it gives us an understanding that our government is to be a terror to good works, or not to good works, but to evil. Our gov Did you hear that, church? Our government should be a government that is a terror to evil. That's what Paul is saying here. He says, do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. So it's talking about a government that praises people for doing good. For he is God's minister to you for good. The, the government should be a minister to us for good. But if you do evil... Be afraid. So the government should encourage goodness from the people and not evil. For he does not bear the sword in vain. So God even says the government has the right to bear arms against evil. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. So church, I want to ask you this question. That's the design that Paul's talking about. He's talking about us aligning ourselves under a government that is promoting good and standing against evil. So how are we going to have a government like that? It's by getting involved. It's by voting. It's by making our voice known. It's by saying, God, if you want me to serve, I will serve in government. I will be the light in the midst of the darkness. Amen? Wednesday night, if you weren't here, Dr. Don gave a great message on the influence in our culture. And there's called seven mountains of influence. And they vary some depending on who you hear, hear them from. But I want to give you seven mountains of influence. First of all, it's religion. We need to influence 
the world and tell them it's not about man's attempt to get, get to God, which is religion, but it's about God's love for us and His desire, and He made a way where we couldn't have a way. Amen? It's about a relationship with God. And we must take a stand and say, all religions aren't the same, you know. That's what they prayed in Congress this week. Jesus said that the religions aren't all the same. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes into the Father except by me. Don't worry about being politically correct. If you hear I've been hauled away, it's because I'm not politically correct. But I'm biblically correct. I do not hate people of other religions. We talked about this earlier. The church loves them. The church wants to love them to life in Jesus. But we're not going to say, oh yeah, if that's okay. You know, if you believe in this God or that God. We have to say, speak the truth in love. Amen? Jesus is the Son of God. He paid for our sins. You can be free and live in the liberty of Jesus Christ. You can know the power of the resurrection in your life. It's not about religion, it's about Jesus. Secondly, in our families, the enemy's trying to destroy our families. He's trying to tear us apart. Church, we need to do everything we can to keep our families healthy and strong and together. We need to teach the next generation about Jesus. Third, education. We shouldn't just abandon, like I talked about Melinda, we shouldn't just abandon the public education system. We should charge into it. Amen? And begin to be the light and be the salt. That's what's happened to our, our major universities. They were established originally by, by churches, by Christians, so many of our great institutions, and today you can't find God in them at all. We need professors that aren't ashamed to say, I believe in Jesus Christ. The fourth thing, I talked about it, government. If God stirs your heart for that, go for it. The fifth thing, media. Media. Right now we're experiencing censorship they're coming against our first amendment they're trying to stop any talk or any speech that they don't agree with we have to have people in media that believe in freedom that believe in liberty that will stand up and say we believe in the the first amendment in arts and entertainment we're making headways. I'm thankful for, for films today that are coming out about Jesus and about godly morals. But we need more. I know a young man that Mitch went to college with, and he, he, he went to depth, in depth in training to go into this field. Others. Church, as bad as Hollywood is, it, 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 it needs Jesus. <laughs> Amen. The thing we need to be careful of is as we begin to infiltrate into these areas of influence is that the influence they have 
doesn't influence us. And finally, the area of business. We need godly businessmen. We need godly men and women that will rise up in the ranks at the great corporations and not secret agent Christians, but Christians that are boldly for Christ, that are walking the walk and talking the talk. Amen. Will you stand with me? Church, it's time to get serious about prayer. It's time to set aside a time with your husband or your wife or your family, with your children, and say, we're going to pray for our nation tonight. We're going to pray for God to move. We're going to pray for revival. It can't just be something that we use in our Christianese, saying, oh yeah, I'm, I, I want revival. Go, Jesus. No, we've got to suit up in the full armor of God, get down on our knees, and begin to cry out to God for our nation that we will not lose our liberty. Amen? Because the world needs the freedom that we have, that we can touch the world. As Mitch leads us, I'm going to ask our prayer team to come at the, at the back and at the front. And I want to ask you today, is there a wall in your life that the Lord needs to tear down? The song that Mitch sang in the, the verse that the Lord laid on Melanie's heart was about breaking down those walls. Maybe you want to come and you want to pray for the Lord to tear down those walls in your relationship at work or relationship in your family or someone who wants to come and say, I just want to pray for our nation. I want to pray that, that the evil is overcome with good. Whatever your prayer need is today, we're not going to take long, but I want us to spend a time and opportunity to pray because the effectual fervent prayers of a righteous man or woman availeth much. Amen. Go ahead, Mitch.